0: in Swahili is dedicated to all you beautiful people around the world. We say Well, hello and greetings to the Global Mission podcast. My name is Richard Lush, your host, as we discuss the issues of worldwide missions and the task of the Great Commission. Many years ago, I uh, headed a cross-cultural training program in a city of 10 million people, which was called back then Madras, which is in India. The group was made up of six families and singles about 25 people in all, and we studied there for about 12 weeks. Many of the families were already approved to go to Romania, and the number one question by my students was, if we are going to serve in Eastern Europe, why are we going to India to study culture? My answer was simple. What you learn in Madras will be transferable to Cluj or any place in the world. We are not going there to study how to plan a church in India, but learn how to understand culture. The analytical tools used in Asia can be applied in Eastern Europe, Africa, or Latin America. One of the challenges I have in teaching cross-cultural church planning is because of my ministry background. As many of you know, I served in Kenya for 14 years working with two semi-nomadic tribes who lived in the desert northwest. They were called the Turkana and the Pokot. My doctoral dissertation was on the social structure of the Pokot and it is required reading for all of my classes. And like my students question me in Madras, so too do the students question why they should read about an animistic people living in the bush when they are going to work in cities like Brussels, Auckland, Managua, Manila, or Bangkok. And I sometimes get even more pushback when the students are going going out not as church planners, but as youth workers or teachers or involved in administrative work. My answer to those students is the same as it was 40 years ago. It's the principles of learning culture that is important not the location, language, or even the job description. If a person will nail down how to understand culture, then no matter the place or the context, they will be more effective in whatever ministry they are involved in. The very first place to start in ministry in an urban context or any context is identifying who you are going to work with. Not where are you going, but what people are you going to work among? I am often amazed at how many people I meet who emphasize geography rather than people as they begin their quest in ministry. The average new missionary generally starts off by identifying a place for ministry, like the country of Thailand or the city of Bangkok. But when I ask who they are going to work with, They generally don't have an answer for me. My suggestion is that you determine who you are going to work with, and then you work out from there. Are you wanting to work with the Quechua people? Then determine if that will be in Peru or Bolivia. Maybe you're interested in the Sikh people. Determine then if you want to go to Punjab, India, Toronto, or perhaps England. Too many times, missionaries identify a region, but not a people. If you think Italy is the place for you, you still need to ask the who question. Do you desire to work with the college students there? The middle or low-income families? I think you get the point. Think about the people you will be working with, not the country or an area. Once you have established in your heart and mind obviously through prayer who you are going to work with then you are in the place to begin your research for urban ministry just as though you were working among the tribal groups of Papua New Guinea Ray Baki and his last name is spelled B A K K E has written extensively on urban church planning and outreach and I would commend his books to you Bakke advocates that churches, pastors, and missionaries should exegete the culture around them just as we exegete the scripture. He writes this, Most of us have been taught to look at text in context. The single verse or passage may communicate powerfully and immediately by itself but it usually helps us to relate it to the chapter and the book, to know what kind of literature we are reading, to know something about who wrote it and when and why. We need to apply the same principles to our neighborhood. We can regard it as a specific text, or we can work to find out what makes the city tick and how that affects our community there are various theories models and or tools that i teach that are helpful in exegeting a community or a people group this won't be an exhaustive study but here are the tools we can use to understand culture like all tools whether it be a miter saw or a software program the more a person uses that tool the more proficient they will be in their work This is true also when using anthropological tools and exegeting culture. The first tool that we're going to discuss is what we call structuralism. People and cultures organize their social environment. Think of it. We organize our homes, bedrooms, kitchen, bathrooms, and our closets. You may be listening to this podcast while you're in your office. So look around and think about how you have structured or organized your workplace. All businesses have structures. The bank has a structure, our churches, and city planning are all about structures. As a missionary anthropologist, whenever I go into a community, one of the first things I look at is the structure of that community. Here's an example. When we moved to New Delhi, we rented an apartment in a neighborhood called Defense Colony. That enclave was created many years ago for military officers, both retired and active service personnel. Over the years, however, the neighborhood has uh, less to do about the military, but more of a middle-income community from people of every profession. A 10-minute walk from Defense Colony is another neighborhood or enclave called Kota. Kota is not a slum neighborhood by any means, but certainly not as affluent as Defense Colony. Kota is made up of narrow, dusty, crowded streets, um, tight apartment buildings, and a lot of noise. If I were a church planner in India, I would exegete the structure of both communities of Defense Colony and Kota, in determining where I would begin my outreach. When I have my anthropological hat on, I am keenly aware of structure in all aspects of culture. Of course, language is the structure and ordering of the mind. By word symbols like hello, hola, bonjour, namaste, they are all cultural symbols for hello. In English Spanish French and Hindi as all missionaries know language the structure of the mind is vital in knowing the worldview of the people in doing research I want to know how families are structured their living space and how towns villages and neighborhoods are organized understanding structure is part of exegeting the culture A few years back, I was invited to speak to a group of missionaries in Western Europe. The conference was in a small town outside of Brussels. In the evenings, I walked around the town just observing how the streets and the shops were organized. I visited the cemetery and though I don't speak French or Dutch, I was able to recognize common names of the people buried uh, in that cemetery several of the tombstones had similar family names. If I was going to live in that town, I would surely want to learn their language and then investigate the people who lived there and their prominence in that community. So the question then becomes, how are families throughout the world structured, whether they be in Cambodia, Bolivia, or in the Ukraine? Working in Kenya, I wanted to know who were the prominent people in the community, the chief, the shopkeepers, even the witch doctors. Every missionary, pastor, and church planner can do the same thing in their place of service, no matter if they are working in a bustling city or a village outside of Timbuktu, which really is a place in Africa, by the way. The second tool used to exegete a community and a people group is called functionalism. If you Google functionalism, you will get a more comprehensive and complex definition of this word. But simply stating, when analyzing a culture, just simply ask the question, what is its function? What is the function of the family in that cultural context? What is the function of the father, mother, daughter-in-law, and so on. What are the functions of holidays, like Christmas, Diwali, or Ramadan? What is the function of a pastor, witch doctor, imam, or priest? You'd be surprised and maybe a bit disconcerted to learn that the function of a pastor and a witch doctor are very similar. What is the function of prayer for all religions? here's a good question what is the function of a missionary we've all seen those posts that says this is what my mother thinks i do as a missionary what my friends think i do as a missionary what the national think i do or should do and then concludes with what i really do as a missionary this will come to no surprise to many but My African friends think my purpose or function as a missionary is often very different than what I think my function is. Let's continue. What is the function of a baseball, soccer, cricket, or hockey game? It's more than competing, winning, and losing. What's the function of a cockfight or a bullfight? Make a list of all the reasons that you can think of these activities and you will gain insight into the mind and heart of culture. With every activity there is a function and if it doesn't function properly it's going to die. The buggy whip had a function before automobiles but I dare say most people listening to this podcast have never even seen a buggy whip. At one time, almost every home in America had a landline telephone. Though the landline is still used in businesses, the landline today for the home is dying out because it is no longer functional as the cell phone. Blackboards, erasers, and chalk was standard for the classroom in my years in school, but you'd be hard-pressed to find a blackboard in America today as it has been replaced by whiteboards and overhead projectors. If something no longer has a function, it will die. When I was a kid growing up, my dad was the sole breadwinner of the family. My mom did not work outside the home, but was known as a housewife, cooking, cleaning, and raising the kids. That was the common family structure of that era. Today, America's family no longer functions that way, as it has died for the majority of the population. Today, both husband and wife work. The cohesiveness of the family is a more fractured and independent environment. Why did the function of the family 50 years ago fade away? Because cultures are not static, but dynamic, and is always changing, always evolving. There are those who want to argue for the good old days, but the reality is functionally the old family structure is obsolete and a new model has emerged. In many other cultures, the family structure I grew up under is in place because functionally it serves the family and community better economically and socially. How does the family in your community function? Are they nuclear families or extended families? On a side note, it is a well-established and sometimes rightly deserved criticism that missionaries, no matter what country they are from, try to teach nationals how a family should function biblically when in reality they are teaching from their foreign model of family and using a few verses of scripture to legitimize their teaching. Well, I have mentioned two tools for analyzing culture, structuralism and functionalism. There are many more tools that would be helpful to understand people and their communities like history and cultural ecology. But let me finish this podcast with a story that I have used before and probably will again in the future. A college friend of mine started a church in the Fort Worth area after we graduated from Bible College in the early 70s. When he bought the church property, it was out in a field with not many houses around them. About five years ago, he invited me to speak to the congregation as they had supported us for years. I was amazed when I drove up to the church and quite honestly, it was hard to find. Their church property was surrounded by hundreds of homes, apartments and shopping centers. When I mentioned to my friend that the city had moved around him, he said, The thing is, Lewis, everybody in this area are either from Nepal, Samoa, or some other country. Many of them don't even speak English. I have tried to get the Nepalese to attend our church, but they just won't come. He then asked, Do you have any suggestions how we might reach them? So you think anthropology is just for those who work in the mountains of Bhutan? Like my friend in Texas, the same tools that I use to work in the bush are the same tools he can use to reach his neighbors with the gospel. The tools used in reaching the Bokot of Kenya are the same tools that can be used in any urban church planning effort in every context. I have often been asked what relevance do these tools of social science have in church planning. When you exegete a culture properly, it can lead to developing a new contextualized strategy for outreach. In my last podcast, I outlined how I created a new approach in reaching the Pocat using some of these tools of functionalism and structuralism. In the same way, missionaries, pastors, and church planters around the world can create a more relevant way in presenting the gospel by using these tools to exegete their cultural context, communities, and people they work with. Even though I introduce these tools to my students, sadly many of them ever follow up and actually apply them in their ministry. Why? because many will just not make the effort to learn or use these tools as it takes time and disciplined work. Many missionaries or pastors would rather use a model from their home country, vacation Bible schools, having a cinema, youth outreach, start a school, or some other activity, to draw a crowd rather than study the culture or the community. To exegete a people, group, or neighborhood will take the same dedication that a pastor or teacher spends in exegeting a passage of scripture through reading the text in Greek or Hebrew. Unfortunately, we know there are lazy preachers who don't put much time in preparing a sermon. Sadly, the same could be said of many missionaries and church planners who are less than motivated to learn and study the people in their community. If we exegete our communities well, it will reward our labor. Hey, thanks for listening. If you have questions about this podcast or our past podcast, write and let me know. My website again, where you can find my address is uh, lewis-training.com. Uh, perhaps we will have a QA and a in the future. Nope uh until next time god bless you and your service for him no problem alright roast meat is nyama choma the drums that play